0: And Today I want to continue a study in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to embark on a verse-by-verse exegesis of the entirety of the chapter. I set forward already in the last video the argument that Paul is dealing not with Gentile or Greek false teachers, but in fact that he is dealing with Jewish false teachers. He is dealing with the Judaizers. And if you have any doubt about that you can watch the last video. And so as we deal with 1 Corinthians 15, we want to pay attention to how Paul utilizes the Old Testament. He would not have utilized the Old Testament in the extensive way that he does if he were dealing with a Greek or a Roman philosophy. He wasn't. It wasn't a Sadducean doctrine that he He was dealing with. He was simply used the argument that Jesus used, that God is a God of the living, not of the dead, in Matthew 22. He extensively quotes from the Old Testament, because he's dealing with Jewish false teachers to demonstrate their doctrine was false. Now, as we get into 1 Corinthians 15, I want to kind of make a bit of an excursus here, and respond to some things that were said about a post that I made uh, last week I baptized two individuals, um, I met door-knocking, a very nice couple, they started attending and I baptized them, and uh, we had another couple um, who attended Sunday, I'm going to uh, hopefully, uh, I met them door-knocking as well, hopefully they're going to obey the gospel as well, and be baptized, as I said, into resurrection life. Now that phrase was criticized, at least questioned why I would use such a phrase, baptized into resurrection life. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that before I get into 1 Corinthians 15. It will all blend together. Proverbs 17 verse 7 speaks about the excellency of speech is not uh, appreciated by the foolish man. And that's exactly the circumstance with those questioning the concept of baptism and its significance into resurrection life. Now the Bible speaks about being dead in trespasses and sins. You'll find that language in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And yet in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says they were raised into the heavenlies. How did they get raised? Were they rocketed into the atmosphere? No, of course not they were raised in their baptism and so those very ephesians in acts chapter 19 were rebaptized you remember the 12 men at ephesus they were all rebaptized being baptized with the baptism of john after the john's baptism no longer had its significance which was prior to the resurrection of christ and so they are raised ephesians 2 verse 6 in their baptism Well, raised into what and from what? Well from death into life. The Bible says know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead. So even also we should walk by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. So water baptism has its significant significance and power in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, which Paul identifies with in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. That the gospel has its basis in the death and the burial and the resurrection. And there is nothing more significant to Christianity than the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Everything is based upon this great event as Christ is the first one into the new covenant world. He is begotten again according to Acts 13, 33-35. He is raised and now he is the cornerstone of the new temple that was going to be built. And when that, that uh, building was built, Hades would be overcome. So the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the basis of salvation and the basis And it is from the death and burial and resurrection that the power and authority uh, that water baptism has derives its source from. So when someone is baptized they identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And so that's why Ananias comes to Saul in Acts 22 and verse 16 and says, Why do you delay? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. He's entering into covenant with Christ. He's baptized into his death. He's buried with Christ. He's raised in newness of life. And for a penitent believer, the uh, act of water baptism was always immediate in the first century because of the power and the significance of water baptism, which is tied to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. So when someone is baptized and added to the church, he is now in Resurrection Life. Now, argument uh, of the future says, well, he had that before AD 70. Let's talk a little bit about that now. Let's talk about the proleptic nature of salvation, the significance of the completion of the Covenant, and what it meant to those individuals who were baptized before 70, And those who are baptized after 70. That is after the transition of the covenants. Now, the New Testament is the gospel. And the gospel is the New Testament. It's called an everlasting gospel in Revelation chapter 14 verse 6. And it's all tied to the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ. In Galatians chapter two and verse fourteen, Paul said, I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. And it wasn't about the denial of the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ, but it was a matter related to the gospel. The Gentiles are not under the law. Peter's acting like a hypocrite. And so Paul has to say, You live as the Gentiles, now you're wanting the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. Alright, but it was a gospel matter. Everything in the New Testament is tied to the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's all gospel matters, okay? Now, the gospel is not revealed in its completion at the cross, all right. or on the day of Pentecost. The gospel is the New Testament which is incrementally revealed. Alright? So in the New Testament uh, transition period, 80 30 to AD 70, the Holy Spirit is sent and the Holy Spirit guides them to all of the truth giving them a sealing and confirming them through the words that the Spirit is giving them. Now let's pay attention to water baptism in Acts chapter 2 go over to Acts chapter 19 and then over to Ephesians chapter 1. So I want you to follow me now of how the first century baptism had the gift of the Holy Spirit attached to it that was miraculous in its nature, that's proven by Acts 19 and corroborated in Acts chapter 1, and that Holy Spirit was the sealing, that is the guarantee of her down payment, until full salvation would arrive. First of all, Acts 2 verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. The Greek word for is the preposition epsilon, iota, sigma, ice. It always is prospective, forward-looking. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 28, this is the New Testament which is shed uh, for many for the remission of sins. Jesus did not shed his blood because we already had the remission. He shed his blood in order to obtain the remission. The preposition ice is always forward looking. So Acts two thirty-eight, when Peter says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins it was in order to obtain the remission of sins. That's why they were baptized immediately and God added them to the church. With Acts 2 verse 47 Yet the first century baptism from AD 30 to AD 70 that had a gift attached to it a miraculous gift So you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not a non-miraculous manifestation and gift given to all Christians at baptism. That's not what he's saying. There's no New Testament at the time that Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. They need the gift of the Spirit to confirm their faith. So Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we go over to Acts chapter 19, we find the same thing is operating there. Paul asked the question in Acts 19.1, Have you received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, since you believed? Well, the disciples at Ephesus said, We have not so much as heard whether there is any Holy Spirit. So Paul says, And what were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. John's baptism was temporary, until the resurrection of Christ. After the resurrection of Christ, no one is baptized with John's baptism because they are baptized uh, into the resurrected life of Christ. So, John's baptism is no longer effective. So, Paul immediately rebaptizes these individuals in the name of Jesus, and he lays hands upon them, and they speak with tongues they received the Holy Spirit. Earlier, in Acts 8 verse 18, Simon saw that through the laying out of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given. Alright? And so here we have the corroboration. The gift of Acts 2 is not different than what's going on in Acts 8 or Acts 19. It is a miraculous gift. They need this to confirm the word. And they would utilize it in the assembly, just as the Corinthians did. So they would speak uh, at two or three would speak. They would confirm the message. That's how the Bible was revealed. That's how the Word was revealed. And the Holy Spirit didn't give experiences. The Holy Spirit revealed words. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Not with words which man's wisdom teaches but that which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And those deep things of 1 Corinthians 2, nine and 10 was the agreement of the Old and the New Testaments. So, as they came into the assemblies, the Spirit would be searching the deep things of God, which are the Old Testament promises and the New Testament completion of those same promises. So that's what they would hear in the assembly. Confirming the message, confirming the truth which they were holding then. All right? So the Holy Spirit is poured out for the last days, not our last days, their last days. And Micah 7.15 said it would be for a period of 40 years. According to your days coming out of Egypt, I will show unto them marvelous things. Micah 7.15, 40 years, the miracles would be given. The Holy Spirit is poured out, confirming the message right now. In Acts 2.38, where they were given the gift of the Spirit, that's a miraculous gift. Corroborated by Acts 8.18, Simon saw that through the laying out of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. Acts 19, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We have not so much heard. He tells them about Jesus. He baptizes them in Jesus' name. Acts 19.5, he lays hands upon them, and they speak with tongues. And they confirm the message. Alright? So the message is confirmed. Now... (coughs) That message, as it's confirmed, would be confirmed unto the coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 6 through 6-8, Paul says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, that you will be, uh, well, let me read that real quick, that you might come behind in no a gift, Wait, that's right, waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ who shall confirm you to the end. And that's the same end of 1 Corinthians 15 and 24. So they're confirmed with the gifts for 40 years until the end for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Alright, now, the first century baptism has a gift attached to it because it was the confirmation that that baptism would bring forward redemption. All right. And it was the sealing or the guarantee until the completion of their promises, the completion of their salvation, and the completion of their redemption. Now please follow. In Acts 19, Paul is dealing with 12 men from Ephesus who knew only the baptism of John. Paul writes to these same Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1. So with the background of Acts chapter 19, we have Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, in verse 13, after you believed, well, King James Version says after you believed, Do King James says, uh, then you believed, in, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, uh, King James says after you believed, The gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Alright? So after they believed, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's Acts 19. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It was a miraculous sealing. They were confirming the word with these signs finally. That's exactly what Second Corinthians chapter 1, 21 and 22 says. They were being established. The Greek word babao. The same word translated, uh, confirmed in Mark sixteen twenty. All right, They were being established through the anointing, through the guarantee and through the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul speaks about the miraculous operation of the Holy Spirit in three different ways. He who establishes us, that's the Greek word Babao, that means confirming us, with you in Christ has anointed us, that is a miraculous anointing. Jesus was miraculously anointed with power through the Holy Spirit in Acts 10 in verse 38. They were anointed in 1 John 2:26, so they did not have to be taught. That's the miraculous uh, anointing. And so the confirmation of is through the Holy Spirit, the miraculous anointing is referred to, the sealing is miraculous, and the guarantee, the down payment, is miraculous. This is simply different ways of speaking about the same thing. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, after they believed, in whom having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. How were they sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? They received it, the Ephesians received it, through the laying on of Paul's hands, in Acts 19. Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given. Acts 8.18 Peter says in the day of Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, Peter said they received the life gift as we have. That's the miraculous operation and sealing of the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. All right. So after they believe. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the down payment, earnest. That's what the word means. Of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So they have the sealing until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, what is the purchased possession? The purchased possession is the church. To these same Ephesians, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, at least some of the same Ephesians, he's talking to the elders that met him at the Isle of Miletus. He called the elders of Ephesus to meet him as he's sailing toward uh, Jerusalem. And he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock, over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. what is What has he purchased? The church. What's the purchased possession of Ephesians chapter 1 and 14? It's the church. And they were sealed. The miraculous sealing of the Holy Spirit for 40 years. They were sealed until the day of their redemption. Now, here's the kicker. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. The Bible says, that they were sealed for the day of redemption. It's the preposition ice, Epsilon, Iota, Sigma, which always has a prospective forward look, a forward function. Unless you're going to make a Baptist argument, preachers, that ice means because of here, you got a big problem. They were sealed into the day of their redemption, which is Romans 8, the redemption of our body. It was in their future. In Romans 8, the Holy Spirit was given to that body that had died due to sin, that's the old covenant body, and the Spirit was transforming the body in order that that body might be adopted. And God is going to adopt full-grown sons in a body. And the Holy Spirit was given for the perfection of the saints. For the completion of the church. The completion of the body, you see. That's the idea. Now, Ephesians 4 in verse 30 proves that their redemption was still in their future. Because he uses the preposition Epsilon, Iota, Sigma. The day of their... Into the day of their redemption. So they are saved... They're being saved, but salvation was coming. 1 Peter 1, verse 9. The end of their faith, the salvation of their souls. It's not a different nature of salvation, it's the completion of the same salvation. So they're redeemed, they're being redeemed, the redemption's coming. They're in the kingdom, they're receiving the kingdom. Hebrews 12, 28, and yet the kingdom's coming. And Jesus places the completion of the kingdom at the fall of the temple. Luke 21, 31. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.28 delivers the kingdom back to the Father not to end his reign, to complete his reign. That Christ might be all that in all. Which means Jew and Gentile inequality. Alright? So now notice, please, the significance and the strength of my argument. Epsilon, the Otis Sigma, ice is prospective in its function. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 proves that the church would receive its complete redemption and forgiveness of sins at the completion of the church. Christ was the Passover. The Passover is the hiding of sins. And Christ fulfills all the feast days, by the way. All the feast days. Including the Day of Atonement, And the Feast of the Tabernacles, which comes at the completion of the church. And the Feast of the Trumpets. He is the unleavened bread. Because they ate the unleavened bread as they escaped the bondage of Egypt. For forty years they went on their trek. They rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's exactly what they would do in Joshua chapter 5 verse 9 when they enter into the land. He rolls away the reproach of Egypt. The Feast of the First Fruits. That's the Resurrection. Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. The Jews come in. Then the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Gentiles were most interested in it because they could see themselves associated or assimilating into the promises of God in the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's why in John chapter 12 they they're talking about the Greeks there because the the Greeks were interested in... uh, um, the Feast of the Tabernacles. All of those feast days are fulfilled by Christ. Alright? The Passover was not for the forgiveness of sins, it was for the hiding of sins. You needed a day of atonement for that. Alright? Which is associated with the Feast of the Tabernacles. Well, wait a minute. Revelation 21 3, the tabernacle of God is with men. It's the completion of the church, you see. At the completion of the church, at the Feast of the Trumpets, the last trump. The salvation promises were given. Now, Ephesians 4 and verse 30 is the proof. You put Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 together with Ephesians four thirty, and you will see the proof beyond any shadow of any reasonable doubt that the redemption took place at the fall of the temple. Well, someone says, well, you haven't proven that. It says, they're waiting for the day of their redemption. When did Jesus place the day of the redemption in Luke twenty-one? When in Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, he says, "When you see these things come to pass, look up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh." And he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the dismantling of the temple. Verse twenty-seven. He said you would see the son of man in the clouds with power and great glory. That's the second coming of Christ. That was a spiritual event. Everybody who looks at Luke 21:27 is forced to say that Luke 21:27 is a spiritual event. When Luke 21, 31, Jesus says, and that's the only time that Jesus places the kingdom with an event. He's speaking about the fall of the temple. It's the completion of the kingdom. It's not the kingdom in a different sense. It's the kingdom in a different stage. When you see these things come to pass, know the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And in verse 28, he's still talking about a spiritual reality, not a physical one. When you see these things come to pass, lift up, your redemption draws near. That's what Jesus said. So let inspiration lead interpretation follow. Let Jesus' words about the kingdom and about redemption and about his coming guide us in our understanding. Because in fact that's when redemption would show up. That's when he would appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews 9.28 and Peter said they were looking for the salvation of their souls. It's just the completion of the promises. That's what they were. They're saved. They're being saved. Salvation's coming. They're redeemed. They're being redeemed. redemption's coming. It's called a prolepsis. Romans 4.17 He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. He calls Abraham the father of many nations before Isaac was born. Because God sees the inevitable results. Joshua 6 verse 2, I have given you the land. But they had to go and take it. It's a prolepsis. God sees the inevitable results. He calls Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Before Gideon knew anything about himself being a mighty man of valor. Because God sees things that do not exist as as though they did. And so, when the Bible says they were baptized for the remission of sins. Yes, that's true. To receive the promise and the guarantee that upon the completion of their promises in their covenant, full salvation would be delivered. Today, the seven ones of Ephesians chapter 4 are still operating. They're not over. That's ridiculous. The Bible speaks about an everlasting gospel in Revelation 14 and verse 6. An everlasting gospel. And by the way, in Revelation 14 and verse 20, he speaks about a land where 1,600 furlongs are filled with blood. That's 180 miles. That's a picture of Palestine. And then in Revelation 14:13, the Bible says, Blessed are the dead which die from now on. Why does he say, Blessed are the dead which die from now on, in Revelation 14, 13? Because heaven is opened then. Revelation 11 says heaven was opened at the fall of the temple. The city where Jesus was crucified. Revelation 11.8 Revelation 11.12 This is the sounding of the seventh trump which is the last trump First 1 Corinthians 15. The two witnesses, Paul and Peter are told to come here, up here. Revelation 11.15 The kingdoms of this world became the kingdom of our God at the sounding of the seventh trump which is the last trump. That's when the kingdom is delivered back to the Father. That's when Luke 21.31 takes place. When you see these things come to pass, know the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Then Revelation 11:18 times the dead that they should be judged. 11:19 and the temple of God was opened in heaven. Revelation 14 is the repeating of the same theme from a different perspective. Babylon the Great is Jerusalem; it falls. The last stone of the temple is dismantled, and salvation comes. So blessed are the dead which die from now on. I debated several minutes that that's of the fall of Rome. All right, so explain that the fall of Rome, everybody gets a special blessing when they die. Blessed are the dead after Rome falls. Ridiculous. It's foolish. It's false. He's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And when the last stone of the temple was dismantled, the end came. And the resurrection took place. Now, now, because we have an everlasting gospel Romans uh, Revelation 14.6 the gospel after the Bible is completed after the covenant is completed doesn't need a seal anymore we don't need a gift it's already confirmed the Holy Spirit was for the confirmation of the truth for the last days of Israel until the Bible is completed, the church is completed and full salvation is delivered Paul said, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face shall I know even as also I am known. The gospel is revealed incrementally. They had the sealing of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee into the day of their redemption. We don't need the miraculous operation of the Holy Spirit today. We don't have it because we have the Bible. Just like the type of Joshua chapter 5, after the 40 year transition, the manna ceases. All right. There's no need for the manna anymore. All right. No need for the spiritual gifts anymore. And the spiritual gifts are miraculous in nature. Right. Not non-miraculous. Nobody has a spiritual gift today. You don't. You might have a talent that you want to use. Okay, fine. But you don't have a spiritual gift from God. That's ridiculous. For what it is? Do you speak in tongues? Can you raise the dead? No the spiritual gifts were for 40 years until the completion of the covenant, the completion of the church, the proper adjudication of the Bible itself. And then their redemption and their salvation was obtained. So, when I am criticized by those who say, what do you mean by Resurrection Life? I guess I'm going to again simply cite Proverbs 17:7. 7, excellent speech is not become, becoming to a fool. To speak about the power of baptism in Resurrection Life is the way that we should be talking about water baptism. We should be talking about resurrection life. We should be talking about an everlasting gospel where individuals are dead in their sins. That they need to repent and be buried with Christ. That the blood of Christ can be applied to their souls. And that they can walk now in newness of life. And that's resurrection life and no, they don't need a physical, biological resurrection at some end-of-time event, made-up end-of-time event, in order to go to heaven, because heaven was opened at the fall of the temple. So when it was opened, the Bible says the temple of God was opened in heaven, Revelation eleven nineteen. Blessed are the dead which die from now on, and no one could enter into the tabernacle of the testimony of the temple until the seven plagues were completed, Revelation 5 and verse 5. And heaven was opened in Revelation 19 at the second coming of Christ. And the book of Revelation is not about the end of the physical, biological world. It is about the end of the Jewish world. For God would bring forward salvation so the covenants could change to all men and that the covenant people could enter heaven. And if you're completely forgiven, waiting for the second coming of Christ but you still can't go to heaven, then why are you really forgiven? The only thing that keeps you from heaven is the forgiveness of sins. So why can't you go to heaven, preachers? It's the principle of parsimony, you see. God only does what he needs to do. He needed to create a new covenant to overcome the old covenant of death. I'm going to leave you with this. And I'll do exegesis next couple of weeks, verse by verse from 1 Corinthians 15. But Paul doesn't quote out of context. He never would have been able to go into the synagogues and to convince the Jews if he quoted the Old Testament out of context. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, Paul says, Then it shall come to pass, the same death is swallowed up in victory. Hadn't been swallowed up yet. But he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 25. And Isaiah chapter 25 is in the context of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the dismantling of the temple. In Isaiah chapter 25, actually 22 through 29 is all the same subject, including Tiger, by the way. I just discovered that here the last couple of weeks in my study. But in chapter 25, there's a context itself. You have made a fortified city a ruin. It will never be rebuilt. That's Isaiah 25, 2. Death is swallowed up forever. Isaiah 25, 8. That's what Paul's quoting from. Then Isaiah 25, verse 12, the fortress of your high fort of your walls he will bring down, lay low. That's the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Paul's not quoting out of context, he's quoting in context. And the end is the transition of the ages. The kingdoms of the world became the kingdom of our God, Revelation 11, 15. So that which was sown in corruption was the old covenant body, present tense verb. It was being raised in incorruption, present tense verb. And finally, when the law ends, the corruption is taken out of the world because the law could not overcome sin. And the strength of sin is the law, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. And the law didn't end at the cross, but by means of the cross. And the strength of sin is the law. That's the law of Moses, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. If you believe that's in your future, you're forced to say that's the gospel. And any preacher who calls the strength of sin is the gospel of has promoted one of the most foolish things he could possibly imagine. That the gospel is the only instrument to destroy the effects of sin. It is the law that manifested sin. How had I known sin except the law say I shall not... uh, How had I known lust except the law say I shall not covet? You shall not covet. Romans 7. The commandment came, sin revived, I died. That's death. And Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. And that promise was culminated and actuated at the fall of the temple of the second coming of Christ and full salvation is delivered today and the couple that I baptized into Christ were added to his glorious body the church and they will never die if they stay in Christ if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin And today, we no longer have the ceiling of the guarantee because we have something much better. We have the presence of Christ. The presence of the Father. The presence of salvation in the body. When I baptize someone into Christ, I baptize them into a resurrection life. And if they walk with Christ, they can never die because Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you will never die. And that is good news. Good people, it's good news. The covenant is complete. The law has ended. People in Christ live forever. And that's about it. So for those who are criticizing me because I use the phrase into resurrection life, sorry, it just demonstrates your ignorance. Really, your ignorance. And I'll continue to use biblical language even though excellency of speech is not accepted by the foolish. And that's excellent. To talk about water baptism and resurrection life is excellent speech. You know, the Bible says, he who has a deceitful heart finds no good. Some people just like to nitpick. They find no good because there's no good in their hearts. Just look to try to refute things without trying to understand them. The Bible says it's an evil thing. It's an evil thing in 2 Peter chapter 2 to speak about things that they, you do not understand. So you better go back and study, folks. Remember, Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore we get wisdom. With all you're getting, get understanding.